0: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Forevermark, a diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com.
2: This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code GoldMen. That's G-O-L-D-M-E-N at checkout to get ten percent off Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Hello
1: and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of vanityfair.com, and I'm here as usual with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week we have on yet another amazing guest, and she is going to be basically the whole show, and you'll know why when you hear her talk. Peggy Siegel is a hostess and publicist. She is the force behind many of the best events in Oscar season in New York City and beyond Oscar season. She knows every voter in the Academy to hear her talk. Uh, we've all been to her various lunches and dinners throughout the season. Um, and she just got back from the BAFTA Awards because she's that kind of mover and shaker. Uh, if you want to know what kind of force she is in New York City, you can read a Sunday Styles profile in the New York Times that just came out about her, or you can listen to her soundcheck in which you ask her a simple question like, how was your week? And this is what you get.
3: So Peggy, can you just talk into the mic and just tell us something yes, about testing, your day testing. today?
1: My day? Yeah. I just
4: returned from a week in London where I went for the BAFTAs. And I used to go like on a Thursday or Friday because the Baptists are on a Sunday. Now I go the week before. Oh yeah. (laughs) I arrive like Sunday morning. I went to Goodwood, which is this amazing estate that makes Downton Abbey look shabby. And (laughs) Lord Marsh has uh, he had a hunt ball. I missed the ball the night before the white tie hunt ball, but I went there for lunch and races over fences and saw a horse die. That's very no had a heart attack went over the last jump. And struggled up the hill and flipped on its side. The rider jumped off, knew exactly what had happened. He fluttered his legs and that was it. The ambulance came. They put a green screen around him. I mean, they didn't shoot him in the head because he was dead, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it was like, oh, he was doing what he loved and he was an old horse. I, wow. of course, ran over to see this dead horse and was pulled away by Lady Morse. <laughs> and th- th- then I went into uh, town and stayed at the Chilton Firehouse, which Andre Bellaz owns, and it's sort of the hub of all the... Um, actors and, and the, the restaurant and the bar and everything when all the um, uh, entertainment uh, awards are in town. It's always a great place to stay, and he's wonderful. And on Wednesday night, I gave a dinner for 100 filmmakers, and this had started oh, four Florida. years ago, and I had done a small film a small dinner for six, and then the next year for 10, and then la- 20, and then last year was like 35. And I invite all these British filmmakers that I know and love. So last year we had like 35 people in literally the kitchen of the firehouse that included Chris McQuarrie, who writes and directs uh, Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. and he brought Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom <laughs> and so everyone wow. was a flutter. And Christiane Amanpour came, and Tom Hooper, and Stanley Tucci, and it was great. So bo- And Barbara Broccoli. And, and the best thing was watching Barbara Broccoli, 007, discuss release dates with Chris McQuarrie, Mission Impossible. And, <laughs> and Chris was saying, oh, it doesn't matter when they're releasing my film. I don't have an ending. And Barbara saying, excuse me, you're shooting without an ending? I would never get away with that. So Barbara <laughs> turned to me and said, well, we must do a dinner for you. And then... Uh, I was in L.A. about six weeks ago and Jessica de Rothschild said, I'll call Cousin Jacob, Lord Jacob Rothschild, Mm. and we'll get you Spencer House, which is Princess Diana's ancestral home that Jacob bought and restored and has a 99-year lease on. And it's unbelievable. It's the largest private home in London. So I get, oh, yeah, right. So in like 12 hours, oh, Cousin Jacob has emailed. He'd love to have us. So then I said (laughs) to, to, to Jessica, well, you need to be a co-host also because your husband's a director and we need to network for your husband. Yeah, right, <laughs> so Bar- right, right Barbara Broccoli, 007, moi, little old me, and Jessica de Rothschild hosted a dinner and a 100 famous filmmakers came. It was on a Wednesday, so not everyone who had been to the nominee's lunch could actually get there in time, which was okay because it was mostly English. And and it was the first time that so many British titles and aristocratic Brits had had, lunch, had, had dinner with these genius uh, filmmakers. Mm. And it was amazing. And we had everyone from Lord and Lady Astor, who are my great friends, William and Annabelle, and her daughter is Samantha Cameron, Sam Cam, so she sure. came. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, then, yeah. then Annabelle realized it was a hot dinner and she invited six other relatives. It was fine. Her entire family was there. Um, one daughter's the editor of a, a Vogue, etc. And so we had um, everyone from okay Lord Astor Sir Evelyn Sir, uh, uh, <laughs> Sir Evelyn Rothschild Jacob Rothschild we had a Polish prince we had um, Prince Pavlos of Greece and Marie Chantal of Greece and then we had Tom Stofford and Stephen Daldry and David Heyman and Tom Cruise and Eddie Redmayne and Elisa Vikander and Stanley Tucci and Jeffrey, really? Jeffrey Rush it, it, it just and we should and have sent and a Terry Vanity Gilliam, Fair photographer know, Terry seriously. Gilliam and, and Christopher Hampton it just went on and on wow. and on, and and it was amazing. It was amazing, and it was a, it was no red carpet, no sponsorship, no photographers. That yeah. really killed me. No photographers. We had a photo. <laughs> yeah, that booth. Actually, it's kind of we, a nightmare. We had a photo booth, <laughs> and everybody dressed beautifully. And it was three crazy chicks inviting these people That's to come enough. have a dinner, and we did the seating where. Where one person was your best friend and the other one was going to be your new best friend, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was amazing, just amazing. Wow. So we might do it again next year. So that was cool. that was Wednesday. That was a <laughs> slow, all right. Well, slow we, we, we've got
3: your voice now. We're right. good. We're good. <laughs> okay. We <don't. laughs>
4: and then and then Thursday I went to see Master Builder, and yeah. and, and there was also a party for the hundred years, hundred years of British Vogue. But I went to the Master Builder with um, Heather and Chris. Macquarie, and they brought Tom again, Cruz, and Jessica and so her husband, Sasha, a lot, husband, of, Tom Sasha, a lot time. of Tom Cruise. Wow. Um, anyway, no, I'm sorry. We went to the theater on Tuesday. Wednesday was the party. I forget what I did the okay, yeah, I have to
3: stop you. Let's start let's, the, go. let's start the thing. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. We're here with Peggy Siegel, uh, living legend of New York City. Can I say that? The goddess of New York Oscar goddess season? Of York okay, so. <laughs> goddess of New York. Okay. Goddess of New York, who uh, hosts all the best uh, events during Oscar season and beyond, and wanted to talk to you a little bit, first of all, about how you got into this business. And then we got we got to find out who's going to win all the Oscars, because I know that, you know, more than anybody. I try. So, you know, you had this fabulous story in The New York Times the other day. Everybody's On been Sunday, reading February about you. On February 14th, yeah. to be exact. <laughs> and, and photo t- above the fold. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This, a this big is photo, beautiful <laughs> photo. <Yeah>. Beautiful <laughs> photo. Yeah. So how did you how did you get into being the Oscar host of New York City?
4: started as a fashion designer, got into publicity. Uh, I always worked with with directors and with studios, never really yeah. did personal representation. It kind of evolved where I sort of got into doing these special events at the end of the, of a campaign, doing the premieres. And then I always worked on these quality films, and all these films were always nominated for Oscars. So I was sort of brought along into the Oscar campaigns. And then um, I've always been relatively creative about the marketing of films and was the first to tell the studios they didn't need to go to the Ziegfeld. They could go to a a small room with 100 people if they had the right 100 people and the talent. It would cost um, much less and get the same publicity. So the thing is we applied this to the Oscar campaigns as well where basically there's 6,200, all right, here we go, the diversity situation, old white (laughs) Jewish men, three women of a certain age, I am one of them who belong. And... um, and so we decided that th- that all this red carpet hysteria r- did really not help the um, the voters really get to know the filmmakers and the film they thought they made, they intended to make, or they actually made. So we started doing these lunches with um, these Q&As, these panel discussions. I call it lunch and learn, or a press conference wrapped around a piece of chicken. And they were very, (laughs) we started a few years ago, and they were very, very successful. And this year, they really took off. So we either do a brunch, a lunch, a tea, a cocktail party, or a dinner.
3: And And sometimes you do all of them in one day.
4: One one day. January 4th, we did five in one day without one costume change for me. I went from morning to <laughs> the night in the same Alfred because I didn't have time to go home and change. And, um, so it, but the thing that's so successful about them is that the talent from the film comes, the actors and the director and the screenwriter and the, sometimes the producer, and we get an amazing moderator, and they talk about the film to like 100 people in the room. And you're inches away from everybody. There's a cocktail hour from 12.30, cocktail half hour, 12.30 to 1, where everyone can chat and then you sit down. And it, I mean, I send a timeline into the kitchen. That's how exact yeah. it is. And the press uh, conference starts at 1.30 and goes for an hour, and you could hear pin drop.
3: Yeah. And, and how much has this changed? I mean, you, you've obviously helped change it, but people talk about how Oscar campaigning is such a thing now. Well, no, Harvey invented it. Let's
4: call a spade okay. a spade. <laughs> Harvey right. was the one that perfected, refined uh, uh, this campaign. I always thought that Clinton taught him how to do this. I don't know why. Bill Clinton? It's just my, my guessment. He'll probably deny right. it and say I'm an idiot. But I always thought that Bill was right behind all this. And it's, <laughs> and it's, it's hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. It's really he, – he started the phoning campaign, which they've outlawed. Everything that Harvey started, there's now been outlawed <laughs> because he's taken it to such excess. Right. But, I mean, I will tell you one of the most famous campaigns was the, um, the King's Speech, where everyone thought that the social network was going to win – and, and we kind of knew differently because they had gone to the press, to the media, to promote that film and we knew that it was the voters that really had to see the film and fall in love with it and find a mantra called Find Your Voice. So we spent the last uh, two months, well, six weeks or so, until the announcements screening the film day and night to all the Academy voters and bringing in all the actors from Australia and London and you know New York and everything. Right. Um, uh, the film was first shown in Toronto and... Colin Firth literally won the Oscar after that first screening and then he did 53 red carpet appearances. So that's the criteria. When, when these actors, like I turn to Leo, I'm going 53 red carpet appearances and they choke.
3: They <laughs> die and they
4: go, no, it can't be. I said, it has to be.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
4: you, you want to win. You need to go out there and you really need to campaign. And then there are people. Have you
3: discussed that with Leo this year?
4: Yes, of course.
3: Yeah. Yeah, everyone and, has. And he's, he, was, he oh, was open to it? Oh, I mean, it?
4: bit the bullet, of course. I mean, yeah. he, last year, I saw him at a party in uh, St. Bart's at Christmas, and he said, Siegel, who's going to win the Oscars? I have to call my bookie. Right. So <laughs> I said, all right, Leo. Uh, well, uh, Julianne Moore is going to win for her fourth nomination. So he said, well, when am I going to win? I've had four nominations. I said, when you're in a wheelchair, you'll get the Irving Thalberg Award. He's <laughs> <laughs> not happy about that. So I, literally, a year later... We come back, we're at the same party, and of course, he had this huge beard, and he looked like a bear, and, yeah. and I'm going, what are you doing here? He said, the camera's froze. I have six weeks off. So then the year later, we come back, and he says, okay, Siegel. I said, you're winning. This year, you're winning. Six nominations, including one producing credit. It's your year. You're winning. And, and I said, you've got, to, you've got to do the campaigning. You have got to go to the match because you're going to win. Yeah. And I'm sh- I'm not the only person that said this to him. Yeah. Agents and press agents and confidants and friends and studio people and he did it with gr- with grace and with class and he wrote all his own speeches and he was perfect, just perfect.
3: Why do you think this is the year that he will win? What is it about this Timing. performance oh. for him? Oh,
4: for him? Um, He um, fought the elements. It was excruciatingly difficult to make this film, um, which was made apparent. It's about American history. Um, He physically transformed himself into another human being. Uh, It has, oddly enough, it has... A, a sparse script, and he conveys am- amazing emotion with not saying a lot,
3: yeah.
4: um, which is completely opposite from Michael Fassbender, who had a 180-page script. and was just great mm-hmm. portraying
1: Steve Jobs. And this was quite the opposite.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he was due. Yeah. So when you're in the room with someone like Leo or Harvey Weinstein and they're campaigning like this, what can? What do you see in the voters? How do you know when something's clicked with them that they are just all over somebody?
4: Well, if you go to other award shows, you can measure the applause. Mm. When their film is announced or the a- particular actors announced, you can see if they get a standing ovation and if everyone stands up and applauds because all the voters are in the room, whether it's the PGA, the Writers Guild, the Golden Globes, whatever, there, there's a few hundred voters in that room. And, and if everyone screams, you know, well... I mean, a hundred years ago, Michael Douglas won a Golden Globe for Wall Street One, and he got a rousing, hysterical standing ovation. I go okay. He just won the Oscar. Can well, that's what bet. happened with Sylvester
1: yeah. Stallone this year—the yeah. Golden Gloves when he won—and there was a standing ovation. I think everyone said, "Oh, this no, no!" Is
4: it. I knew beforehand. Oh, well. Because, <laughs>
1: please tell us how you knew, because well, we it, were uh, all. Because on
4: that on that day where we did five in one day, my personal best. At the end of the day, we did a dinner at Patsy's, which is this Italian that. restaurant yeah. that Sinatra used to go to. So we did this dinner for about a hundred voters and some and media people and friends upstairs at Patsy's, and we had a Q and A, which Gail King conducted, and they were cheering for his answers. I mean, Rocky would give an answer, yeah. and they'd cheer, right? <laughs> and you go, "All right, he won. Done." Yeah. That's amazing. You right. knew there, right? Well, and it was wow. a mic. It was like a hundred people as opposed to six thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you just knew that forty-year story and how forty years ago the film won. I think it beat out all the President's Men, something like that, mm-hmm. forty years ago. Yeah. Um, but but uh, Sly didn't win the film won. and it's forty years, years later, and the um, emotional and 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 uh, social breakdown of the Academy is older men who say, well, 40 years later, he's still active. That that character still survives and has changed with the times. It was um, an African-American director, an African-American star, Michael B. Jordan, and completely relevant to their lives as well. Let's pause for a word from our sponsor.
1: In Forever Mark's pursuit of absolute beauty, every Forever Mark diamond undergoes a journey of rigorous selection. That's why less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Each Forevermark diamond originates at a carefully selected source that provides benefits to its country and local community. This ensures that a Forevermark diamond helps improve the lives of those involved in its journey so you can feel proud to give, own, or wear your Forevermark diamond. Forevermark. A diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com.
3: Now, let's talk about the diversity thing. Why? And all the <laughs> you don't want don't to talk you, about it? Don't you
1: want to know who's going to win the Oscars?
4: Yes,
3: we're going to get to it real quick. Here's one thing. You yeah. know a lot of these voters. Yes. Because obviously, a lot of them are, are annoyed by the idea that people who are haven't been working are going to be you know, stripped of their the voting. The whole
4: thing is a travesty. Um, yes, there are. It, the academy is broken and needs to be fixed, and there needs to be more diversity. And, and the thing that they did not address the morning of the nominations where I was actually sitting there watching all this going on is that it's about um, race. It's about gender. There are no women in the academy. Mm-hmm. It's about age. Mm-hmm. You don't get in your you're old, so By the time you get in, you work a few years, and then you're just in. Um, and about disability, you know, and there are people who... Um, like Marley Maitland and people like that who make films, and there are not very many of those people in the Academy as well. Um, what no one really spoke about is that there were 1,200 actors who nominated those 20 actors. And they may all primarily be white, and they may be older Jewish guys. They are comp- They are not racist. They are completely liberal. They really know filmmaking, and they chose the best performances that they thought they saw and right. they could. And the problem is that when you have... Um, from for eight to ten best films and you only have five nominations for director and five nominations for actor, actors supporting. There's always a six and seven slot that you get, why didn't they get in? So last year it happened with David Oviello oh, he didn't get in for acting. There was a whole uproar about Martin Luther King and and, and that film. And this year it was about Idris Elbers and Will Smith. Well Idris' film was a Netflix film. It was very violent. It was the first year that Netflix got into the race. There was a little bit of resistance there. Not everyone saw the film. It was a great performance. And he was the number six, okay? Mm-hmm. Will yep. Smith, he was number six and a half or seven. Yeah. Um, Concussion uh, was a difficult sell. He was fantastic in it. Being a major football fan, I loved the film. I worked on that film. I worked on, on Beast of No Nation as well. I worked on all of them, um, and and I could understand the frustration of both those actors and the disappointment. But I do not believe, in my heart of hearts, that the Academy is racist.
3: No, but I, I think you. But you put your finger on it. It's not that any individual person is racist, but that if the makeup is mostly older Jewish guys, which is something that very patriotic, very
4: liberal. Sure.
3: But they have a certain point of view on things. And so one logical way to change it is say let's make sure that the voting body is more is more diverse. All right.
4: So if you put in more diverse people, do they automatically vote for diversity?
3: I mean, well, you have I, to I vote
4: for the quality of the performance and the film. Right,
3: but everyone's everyone's lens on quality is going to be somewhat dependent on what their their, their, their background emotional is and their, their emotional point of
4: view reaction is. to the film. Yes, yeah. I totally agree with but, you.
3: But what about the 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 voters that you know? Do you know voters who are angry that they feel that they they're being kind of shunted off? Yes, and...
4: where all of a sudden they decide, well, we're going to fix this by getting rid of the retired people. What do you want from them? Those are the right. rules. You let them in late. They grew old. They're retired. They they come to all the screenings. They they love it. They're yeah. devoted. They vote. So throw them out? Yeah. I mean, that's not fair. You can change the rules and fade them out, but don't throw them out.
3: Yeah. So they feel like they're really being kicked yes. out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yes. So the rules were if so you have to be renewed every 10 years or if you're in for 30 years. Mhm. I ran to my wallet, opened up my card. In 1986, I was a member. I got in under the gun. I've been an active member for 30 years. <laughs> they cannot get rid of me. There you okay. go. I don't think anyone
3: uh, would
1: argue you're not active now, though. I think that's a pretty uh, hard right. sell to me. I'm going to, like,
4: die in
3: my
1: chair. <laughs> okay. All right.
3: All right. Let's talk about who's going to win. Who's okay. going to win? Uh, let's start well, with, what do you want to start with? I was
1: going to do with? Best Picture because we, uh, you know. Yeah. Look, it's kind of a
4: three-way race between the big short, Spotlight, and, and The Revenant. And The Revenant is magnificent filmmaking. It's really majestic. Uh-huh. And that's ultimately what they... what they, they want something very important. Now, on the other hand, Spotlight is an amazing story and globally has kind of changed the world. Um, and that film is really a writer's film. The same thing with Adam McKay. Brilliant. I mean, he worked for Saturday Night Live for 10 years. He started out doing broad comedy with Will Ferrell. This is his first serious film. He has worked and worked and worked. He's gone to... Washington. He's gone to the White House. He's gone to Congress. He's gone to Brookings Institute. He's done everything humanly possible to give his film gravitas, although it's a serious comedy, and mm-hmm. it's always harder for comedies to win.
3: Do you think there's any hesitation within the Academy to reward the same director two years in a row with Best Director?
4: Well, as far let me as far, there's this the DP Chivo. They call him Chivo. Yeah. Um, uh, Everyone sort of wants to make history with him mm-hmm. because this will be his third year in a row. Um, he did Gravity, Birdman, and others. Yeah. So everybody, everybody likes to make history. Yeah. And, and at first we thought there was a resistance to giving it to Alejandro two years in a row. But now I think that, that Alejandro and the Revenant is part of this historic vote going along with Chivo. The mm-hmm. other thing is that Leo was so strong this year. So strong. I kept saying to Leo, go stand next to Alejandro. Maybe some of your store power will, will – <laughs> that fairy dust. Sprinkle a little of your fairy dust on Alejandro. Go, go stand next to him. Um, Is anyone
3: talking about, uh, about the diversity question with Alejandro? Is that oh, helpful yes, for people yes. too?
4: Well, I went to – Um, I was in L.A. I went for the Golden Globes and stayed three weeks because it was snowing in New York and I couldn't get home and I didn't want to go home. And (laughs) so I I ended up going to the Broadcast Film Critics Awards and the PGA and the SAG Awards, which we'll talk about in one second. And, and, And the morning of the SAG Awards and the... the the director's awards, the DGAs, they do a symposium and they have the five nominees come up and do uh, like at the DGA. They do it at the DGA and they have like a three hour conversation on the making of the movie. And they did. And I, so I went to the producers guild symposium and Alejandro said, this is the first question was about diversity. And he said, I'm Mexican. I was born in Mexico. I left 15 years ago. I've been living here. I no longer really fit in to Mexico. I've, I've been away. I've, I'm part of the American culture. And I'm not really American. I'm sort of nowhere. And I'm Latino and I fit into this diversity. So uh, I think that was a, um, a talking point that really resonated with the voters mm-hmm. about, about his Mexican background.
3: Right, because they are self-conscious about this stuff. They do want to be seen as progressive, and they, they, this is very so painful say, for them. Let me you,
4: the, the Academy is mortified. Yeah. Mortified. The members are mortified. Yeah. You, you cannot turn on a talk show, late-night talk show, without them making fun of the Academy. Yeah. I mean, every time there's another award show, there's a joke about the Academy. And, and the 6,200 members of the Academy are not happy campers.
3: Yeah. This is yeah. something
4: they weren't looking for.
3: Right. Do you right. think
1: that there's going to be a real strong motivation to fix it next year and like really look toward diverse films that are uh, coming down the well, pike? Well, it's
4: really hard to fix it in one year. There's a film that was um, bought for $17.5 mm-hmm. $17. million mm-hmm. at Sundance this year about Nat Turner. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a first-time director. He wrote it. He yeah. directed it's it. It's Nate out.
2: Parker. Nate he, Parker. He, well, you're talking about uh, audience response. He, uh, I was at the, the premiere at Sundance. He got a standing ovation, Nate Parker, when he walked out to introduce the film. So there's already a lot of of support and, for the movie. And
4: he was offered $20 million from Netflix and he took $17.5 million mm-hmm. from Fox Searchlight who brought yeah. you 12 Years a Slave which is another campaign I worked on yeah. and, and 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 because they know how to do it and because they did 12 Years I mean I not to digress but I worked on 12 Years and nobody wanted to see this film because of the violence yeah. and I would sit up and I'm famous for sending these passionate emails in the middle of the night <laughs> and I would be sending Nancy Utley and Jim Giannopoulos Emails at 1 o'clock in the morning, here are 10 more people that won't see your film. I mean, major voters will not see your film. So finally, we kept saying, we need a mantra. We need a mantra. So two weeks before the ballots closed, they came out with, it's time.
3: Yeah. And 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 that's a, Hillary's slogan this year, isn't it? Well, and right. and a, and a,
4: right, <laughs> and a Fox, Fox executive had told me that a Fox searchlight executive was driving around LA and saw a billboard for a basketball team that said, It's time. And he said, Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. We can use it. <laughs> and it's time meant that you didn't have to see the film, but you had to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's why this diversity issue right now is so heartbreaking to these members because they're not racist. I mean, last year when the thing came out about David O. Yelloo yeah. and um, the produ- and the director Ava DuVernay, yeah. I literally went to a Q and A that Oprah was giving, and Pete Hammond was standing right there. And afterwards, she came off the stage, and we were outside at like the Westwood Theater, whatever, one of those was wet- And she said, "Hi, Peggy," and I said, "All right, all right." She knows me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say you are wrong about racism in the Academy. You've got to stop this. It's about the voting system. Yeah. And she looked at me because no one really speaks to Oprah like that, and Pete Hammond said she's right she she's right you've got to listen to what she said they they were sort of like casualties of the number system, but I understand what you're saying that that if there was a more diverse membership and they fixed the number system, we wouldn't have this problem
3: right right, yeah, well, it's obviously a complex problem and it it's not just the oscars right it's hollywood it's how it's the the they, the they films got obama that got
4: they got i was they got Obama to to comment on this.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's the
4: country. But I just want to go back to something else. You didn't mention Best Documentary, which yeah. is Amy is going to win, Asif Kapidya,
3: mm-hmm. which
4: I mean, I think he won the minute he showed his documentary in Cannes.
2: Yeah. And
4: and um, oddly enough, a few years ago, he did a documentary called Senna, which was oh, not yeah. even shortlisted at the Academy and won the BAFTA. Right, so
3: right. So he
4: was really apprehensive about the Academy um, nominating him. And he's he's won the Bafta, and it looks like he's going to win that.
3: Let's talk about supporting actress. Has been the most baffling one for us this year. So right. you're you're going for Alicia. So Bikander. we said
4: Will Leo's a lock. We said Brie Larson, Brie Larson yes. is a lock. Okay, um, and we said Stallone's a lock. Yes. Yeah. All right. So um, best supporting actress is between Alicia Vikander and Kate Winslet. Yeah. And um, Alicia was up for two Baftas: one for best actress for The Danish Girl, and one for supporting for Ex Machina. At the Baftas, and she lost both, and um, uh, and Kate uh, won the Golden Globe.
3: Golden Globe and the Bafta, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the Golden
1: Globes where Alicia was also nominated yes, a, as a lead.
4: Yes, right, um, but Alicia won SAG. Yes, yes, yeah, which is a big deal.
3: Yeah,
4: um, because the largest voting block in the Academy is the actors, and she's adorable, and she's getting the the, the Lupita. Fashion award this year. Every time she comes out, she's got a, one dress is better than the next, right, and she's right. very friendly and charming and sweet, and everybody loves her. And she's
2: worked with everyone. in one, I mean, because she was in so in, many in, movies like, this, this man. year, ten
4: films yeah. in three minutes, and yeah. everyone loves her. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, and she and she's living with Michael Fassbender, this right? Is a which is perfect life. And she's just had the cover couple. of Vogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, what more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had one lousy shot with Patrick Demarchelier an hour ago. <laughs> she had the cover of Vogue. All yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so so Alicia. Um, she, uh, it, I can't tell you because the, sh- there was such a brouhaha in in London. Kate was on the cover of every newspaper the next day with Leo because nineteen years ago they had made Titanic, right, right. and so I'm not sure if that is going th- to resonate with the voters. They either want it or don't. I'm not sure how influential the BAFTAs will be. If, the, if they look to the uh, BAFTA uh, wins and they somehow see all those covers or realize how excited the Brits were to give her this award and how much they love her, that could influence her winning the Oscar. Yeah. Although Alicia has been around the States much longer and she has been working it and going to all these Q&As and, and – and, uh, I don't, know, my, I don't know why my gut is Alicia, but I could be wrong. And we didn't do Best Foreign Film, yeah. which is Son of Saul, yeah. which yeah. is another film that... It's a Holocaust film. How many Holocaust films have we seen? We have never seen a film like this. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, yeah. it was premiered at Cannes. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, another a French film called Mustang, which is wonderful, again, premiered at Cannes. But I do think that um, this film is so unusual and so brave and a first-time director... Uh, and it's Sony Pictures Classics, and they're good at this. And I think it will probably win. I, I went to
2: an event you had for *Son of Saul* at, at Ellie th- Wiesel Yeah, oh yeah, and um, and the, you know there was the Q and A with the director and the star afterward, yeah. and I th- everyone was just so taken by I think. I just kind of got in the sense in that again, you know, like you said, it's a small room, not that many people, but yeah. just re- just kind of getting the energy. It was like, oh, this movie. And, is, and is as it, quoted yeah. in
4: the *San Times*, every Jew wants to meet Ellie Wiesel Right. right. <laughs>
1: there you go. And I think you, like you so. said that *Son of Saul* is the kind of movie like *12 Years a Slave* that people might vote for even without seeing it just know that it's the right thing to do yeah exactly it's an amazing film yeah before we move on a word from our sponsor
2: This episode of Little Gold Men is sponsored by Squarespace.com. If you wanted to start your own Oscar blog and compete with the likes of Gold Derby and VanityFair.com, you could. With Squarespace, you can make sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with coding. There is no coding required, in fact. It has intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GOLDMEN, G-O-L-D-M-E-N, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, Build a Beautiful.
4: Also, getting back to this diversity, I think that the Academy really supported 12 Years a Slave. And as they said, it was a really tough film. And I, and I said to the director, to Steve um, McQueen, we want you to win this Oscar. It's so violent. It's so difficult because of the violence. He said, the book was worse. <laughs> like, get over it. <laughs> yeah. The book was worse. Okay, yeah. Steve. Sorry I brought that up. <laughs> um, but... Um, so I don't know. I think it's been an interesting. year. I think Mad Max is going to get editing, costume, makeup, production design. I think they'll go. George Miller will go home with maybe four Oscars. Yeah. yeah. For his movie.
2: Yeah. Which uh, is great for a big May action movie. Yeah. yeah that's that's mm-hmm. pretty rare. So that's pretty, that's exciting. And
4: and you know and he doesn't live here and he doesn't come here very yeah. often and it's really his body of work is something that's propelling his, all these. Uh, nominations as well. And the film's amazing. It's great. It's amazing. And yeah. the
3: score you think will go to Hateful Eight, Marconi? Well, that
4: was at the BAFTAs. He's 86 years old. Yeah. I don't know how many Oscars he's won. Uh, None. He
1: has an honorary, but an he's honorary? never won a competitive Oscar.
4: Well, you see, sometimes those stories really work in, yeah. in, in your favor. I mean, I, I'm assuming he will. I mean, he's my favorite composer. Um, and I, and I, I think he's coming. I've heard that he's coming to the Oscars.
2: Oh,
3: okay. Who's the the most kind of beloved person on the circuit this year? I feel like Eddie Redmayne just lit it up last year. Uh, Who's who's working
4: it best? Eddie was in production on the new prequel to Harry Potter. I think Eddie was relieved that he didn't have to go out and campaign again. He did so much last year and so brilliantly. Yeah. And... um, I think that his campaigning was one of the factors, in addition to this brilliant performance, that helped him get that that Oscar away from Michael Keaton. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What was the question? Well, who is there? Oh. Anyone
3: who's the star of the scene this year of the, of the circuit? Um, Leo. Leo. Mm. Leo
4: yeah. is the flavor of the moment.
3: Yeah.
1: Are all the yeah. other best actor nominees kind of grateful they don't have to campaign as hard because they know Leo has a lock? Yes. Locked up. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I must tell you that I do this for a living. And the actors just really have a tough time doing it. Uh, And they feel, as many filmmakers do, that the work is on the screen. And why do we have to go any further? And on the other hand, these voters want to feel like they're uh, catered to. They want people to explain to them or talk to them about why their films are important. And they want to do the right thing. They want to vote for the right film. What they feel is the best film of the year. And it's also a global statement. When the Academy picks the best film of the year, that news goes around the world as this is our best cultural um, product of the year. And it's very important about what the um, intellectual content is of of that film.
3: Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much, Peggy, for giving us your time. I know this is a busy time of year for you. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. And
4: uh, and the ballots are out. And everybody who's listening, if you're an Academy member, go vote. I hope we have lots of Academy
1: members listening. That does it for this week's special Peggy Siegel edition of Little Gold Men thank you so much as always for listening and uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes uh, we have a lot of Oscar season stuff coming up as Oscar season wraps up so it's an exciting time to start listening so recommend it to your friends uh, you can find all of us at VanityFair.com writing about award season and all kinds of other stuff and you can find all of us on Twitter I'm at Katie Rich K-A-T-E-Y R-A-C-H and Mike
2: uh, Mike underscore Hogan and Richard RILAWS, R-I-L-A-W-S
1: This episode was produced by Sam Ningman and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply and this week's award for best effort to rub one person's stardust onto another goes to a Siegel.
4: I kept saying to Leo, go stand next to Alejandro maybe some of your star power well, <laughs> well, that fairy dust sprinkle a little of your fairy dust on Alejandro go, go stand next to him Rx.